This is the voice of the report of the week. Signing on. Well, hello, ladies, gentlemen, and everyone listening into this newest podcast of VORW International. Welcome, one and all. I hope everyone out there listening in is feeling and doing all right wherever you're listening, whenever it is that you're listening as well. For those of you tuning in on YouTube, there are four pieces of fan art featured in this podcast, and I'd like to draw your attention now to the folks who have created these four pieces, so let's give credit where credit is due. The first piece of fan art is credited to Heath Quill Art. Now, allow me to spell that out. That's H-E-A-T-H-Q-U-I-E-L-A-R-T. That's on Instagram. Now, my pronunciation may have been a bit off, but again, Heath Quill Art, H-E-A-T-H-Q-U-I-E-L-A-R-T on Instagram. The second piece is credited to Kelsey Kashnick. The third piece is credited to Savano, whose work can also be found on Instagram at Vintage Star Art. That's Vintage Star underscore Art, V I N T A G E S T A R underscore A R T on Instagram. And the fourth piece of fan art is credited to Hidden Crevice on Instagram. That's H-I-D-D-E-N-C-R-E-V-I-C-E. Hidden Crevice on Instagram. Now, before we get into the rest of the show, if you would be so kind as to draw your attention to one of our sponsors for a few seconds. The Running Jump podcast aims to give people interested in running the jump they need to get started in running. Each episode features lessons for runners and answers to listener emails. While the podcast is geared toward newer runners, plenty of the information will be used for intermediate and advanced runners as well. Recent episodes discussed getting started with running, the unexpected benefits from running, and dealing with the anxiety of people watching you run. The Running Jump podcast can be heard on all major podcast platforms, including Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Podchaser, and Audible. Give it a listen if you are interested in picking up running. Once again, that's the Running Jump Podcast. Make sure you check them out. So before we get any further into this show, I obviously want to make a very important announcement that is going to impact you. It's going to impact every single person listening to this show. Sometimes I wonder, how, how can I go about making this announcement and then explaining it? Sometimes it feels like you want to try to make it sound like this or that or the other thing, but I guess when it comes to things like this, that the best thing to do is just tell it straight up like it is and uh, let that be that. So that's the approach I'm going with today. This is going to be my final podcast for a bit anyway and I am going to be taking a break from this show it's a temporary break 
It's not any sort of permanent closure. I'm not stopping this show forever. But I am taking a break from it. And this is one of those things that I can't really give an easy time frame for as to when I will be back doing this show. If I had to guess, I would say that this break will probably be about it's maybe one to three months, but again, it's it, this is not really something that I can, right here, right now, put a time limit on. I just have to, you know, take a break from it for a bit, reflect on it, look at it, think about how I feel about this show, and uh, when I feel the time is right, I'll, I'll pick up the microphone and get back into it. And that is my full intention. And I already look forward to getting back uh, to this show under better circumstances. So, like I said, I don't know how long this is going to be. And it might only be a month. I mean, I just have to see. I know when I do come back, I'll very clearly state where things stand. And that'll be that. But most importantly, the most important information... There aren't going to be any new shows for a bit after this one. Now, the good news, of course, there are plenty of archived programs that you can kind of listen to in the meantime. And at the same time, I'm going to be focusing more effort to the YouTube channel, the report of the week. And I'm also going to continue doing the radio broadcasts four times a week, every week. Uh, which are heard online via TuneIn Radio, on shortwave and AM radio. And if you want to listen to that, you can. I'm not going to... you don't have to do anything. Um, but I will still be doing those shows as well. And I'll provide all the ways to listen in the description, etc. But in short, just because I'm taking a break from this podcast, I'm not going anywhere. Right, I'm still going to be doing all the other content. No one's even going to notice a difference in terms of that. So why the podcast, then? Why the break? Right, what's what's going on? Why are you stopping doing this show? Now, I, I fully realize, as I say this, that every situation is different. So this is just pertaining to this podcast, what is within my ability here. And I say that with the full understanding of those those uh, sorts of conditions. When it comes down to creating something, be that videos or audio shows like the podcasts or radio shows or any sort of creative pursuit or, or passion or whatever it is, I realize, especially now more than ever, that your mindset and view of what it is that you're doing will play a huge role into what you put out. If you don't have, at the very least, a favorable view of what it is that you're making, that can cause problems. And you could still do it, but is it going to be the same? 
chances are it's not going to be, and it's going to show. And that's the problem, I guess, that I'm having with this show. It's not burnout. It's not that I can't get myself to the microphone. Like I said, I'm still going to be doing the radio show, or I'm there four times a week, every single week. Uh, and obviously, that's a lot of work that goes into that, but I, I, I'm fine doing that. There's no burnout. And quantity is not the issue. I guess the problem facing me, why I think it's best to step away from it for a little bit anyway, and I think the writing has been on the wall for the last couple shows, um, but lately the response... Now, I know this is not universal. And I know there's still plenty of good folks who tune into this program. But the response that I had been receiving for this show was getting more and more negative. It was taking a turn in a direction that it just wasn't leading to anything good. And I don't mean necessarily pessimistic, because I could understand pessimism. You know, when it just comes down to the way a lot of things are, of course I can be pessimistic, and that has nothing to do with this show. So I get it. But what I'm talking about is, like, lots of emails that are just extremely insulting, antagonistic, and I'm not talking constructive criticism, that's fine. But people who are just mean, who are just... It's like they're trying to pick fights. They continually insult you and yell at you and just horrible email after email after email. And it all started like a couple months ago, but it just gradually picked up. It wasn't like something that just started overnight, but it's just been very gradual. Um, and it's a strange, you know, it's like you're kind of like, where, where are all these people coming from? But either way, I guess, it is what it is, and um, it might not be something I'll ever fully understand. But a lot of the correspondence was getting more and more negative and antagonistic and angry and insulting and offensive. And as a result, I think the exposure to that show after show after show started changing my mindset about this podcast itself. And it's not like this is any sort of breakdown, because it's not. Outside of this show, I'm doing great. Everything is going great with the radio show, everything's going great on the YouTube, and things are looking good otherwise. So everything is good, everything's smooth, I'm not sitting in some sort of, you know, trashed room with refuse covering the walls, or I'm not pulling all my hair out or any of that. But the problem that I was facing, it wasn't about doing this show, but it was about my view toward doing it. And a year ago, when I was doing this podcast, I looked very favorably toward doing it. I would say, okay, time to get to the microphone and talk about whatever's on my mind and read some good emails. But with time, that mindset has been getting more and more negative toward the show, until recently, the last few shows, it's been like, well, I mean, what's the point of even doing it? People are going to respond so angrily, is that even a word? You know, angry and hatefully and negatively toward it. It's like, why bother? I may as well just waste my time talking to this empty room 
and uh, at least it doesn't have to go out to anyone that way. And it was things like that. It's just like, all right, I guess I got to pick the microphone up and do this because it's what I got to do. So let's get it over with, all right? And you can see the change in attitude, the change in mindset toward that. And it was just becoming very apparent to me that this just isn't something that I look forward to doing anymore. It's something that no enjoyment is derived from. And it's something now, not even a chore, but more or less a trial. It's a something, all right, just go. <laughs> Good luck. Let's get this over with. That sort of attitude. Is that the right sort of attitude to have when you're doing a podcast and a show that goes out to so many people like this? I don't think so. And that sure isn't the attitude that I ever wanted to have toward this show. So I reflected about it for a while, and I thought, well, what can I do about this uh, really negative view and outlook of this show that obviously hasn't been permanent? There's been many times where I, I used to look very favorably toward this. So I thought to myself, well, obviously there's a number of things I can do, but if there's a way that I can try to find, right, if there's something I can do, I'm trying to say, that makes sure that this negative attitude toward this show is not permanent. Because my greatest concern is that if I kept doing it, even, you know, pushing through it all, but this negative uh, view toward the show is only going to grow and grow and grow until it becomes permanent. And... I can't look at this show any other way but to hate it, but to still sit here at the microphone and do it, hating every second of it. And I think not only, of course, would it, you know, that wouldn't be any fun for me, but I don't think it would be any fun for you as a listener either, because I know for a fact that that mindset would be apparent, it would be prevailing, it would show. I know it already has. I don't want that. I've never wanted that. So as a result, the best thing I think I could possibly do is to step away from this show for a bit, let everything cool down a bit, and at the very least, even if all of these angry people don't go away and they're still here to greet me when I come back, I have a feeling when I do come back I'll have more of a recharged battery, so to speak, and, you know, my shields, in terms of reflecting their nonsense will be at full capacity and full strength and I'll have a much more positive outlook toward this show. But like I said, it's 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 just that this isn't a show that I look forward to doing anymore because of those factors and I don't want it to be that way. So the best thing I could think to change that is to take a break for a bit, uh, recharge the batteries, focus on my other endeavors, the YouTube channel, and the radio show, those are going to be going stronger than ever. And then when I feel the time is right, I'll be back. So that's the outlook. That's the plan. And that's where things stand. Now for the rest of the broadcast, I'm going to be getting into some listener correspondence. And uh, admittedly, 
that segment is pre-recorded. So, right now, you know, as I'm saying this, I am in a very good temperament. It feels so great and so... It just feels awesome to be able to sit here and say I'm taking a break from it, you know? This is great. This is... I'm looking forward to it. I'm looking forward to getting back to it, you know, again, under better circumstances. But like I was saying, for the rest of this show, I'm going to be responding to some listener correspondence. There's no need to write in, and I'm not going to ask for any questions, comments, or topic suggestions, because there's no need for them. The next show that I do, whenever that is, I'll reopen the email for that. And uh, you're more than welcome to write in for any, you know, show topics, etc. down the line. But in the meantime, any emails that were directed to this show that I'm not able to respond to on the air, uh, in my free time I will privately respond. If you do want to send in a piece of correspondence, which you now obviously have the knowledge that it won't be read on this podcast because there won't be any for a bit, but you would just like to personally correspond with me if you'd like to send a uh, message of whatever, any thoughts that you have, your support, your criticisms, or anything, uh, you can reach out to me and contact me at V-O-R-W-I-N-F-O at gmail.com. I will see it. That email address I will still be regularly using for the radio show, so I'm obviously going to be using it. It's still going to be a busy place. And uh, you are welcome to write. And again, in my free time, I'll try to get back to you one way or another. But I'll certainly see what correspondence uh, comes my way. So with that now, enjoy the rest of the show. This is VORW International. All right, first question comes in from Adam. I heard you say in your latest podcast that you like to wear suits for every occasion and that you can't physically bring yourself to wear anything informal in public. Why do you think that is? For me personally, I think that wearing suits all the time would actually be more difficult to do because you'll stand out like a sore thumb amongst everyone else wearing casual clothing. I would have thought that someone who is introverted and doesn't like attention would want to draw the least amount of attention to yourself as possible. From Adam. So thank you. Well, I think what it comes down to is you do have a line to draw, mind you, between... Because... Introversion and social anxieties uh, certainly can get the best of us, right? For those of you who deal with it, you know how it is. One mistake that I think is made, though, at times, is there still needs to be a distinction between the anxiety or the introversion, right? And it's not the same thing, but sometimes one leads to the other, or one goes along with the other, etc. But sometimes I think there needs to be a distinction between those factors... 
and who you really are, who you want to be. And I think a mistake that some people make, they literally allow those things to become them, meaning their entire life, their entire character, their entire persona, who they are as an individual is defined solely and exclusively by introversion, by anxieties, etc., not by themselves, right? And I think that's a good example of that. That's not to say that's, but it would be like in my case, well, why do you wear a suit in public when you're introverted and that would bring attention to yourself? Well, because I want to be myself. That's why. Anxiety and all that stuff runs my life enough to begin with. So <laughs> it's my life and I'm going to make sure that I could at least do a little bit of what I want to do with it. And uh, that's my way of doing so. You know, that's my, well, part of anyway, my individual identity, you know, who I am as a person, what I like to wear. I'll deal with the feelings of all the people looking at me, etc. So I can be the person that I am. Because to sit there and say, well, I'm not going to do this. I'm not going to be the person that I want to be because of this. You're just, you're giving in and you're giving up to it. And it's not to say that this stuff is easy, but I advocate it. It, it can be a battle. It can be a constant battle. But it shouldn't just be give into it and give up to it by default, because otherwise it leads to this or to that. So that's why I wear them. I wear them because that's what I want to wear. That's what I like wearing. That's what I'm comfortable wearing. And that doesn't mean that attention isn't sent my way because of it. But like I said, I'm not just going to become someone that I'm not or not happy with because of these things. And I don't want the introversion and the anxiety to become me. And that's all that it is. That's all that my life is. Well, I can't dress the way I want because of this. I can't listen to what I want because of this. I can't do this because of that. I can't do that. So then why even, you know, are you just sitting there existing then? have to try to find a balance, and sometimes that means going out of your comfort zone, but that's up to you whether it's worth it in the end or if it isn't, and in my case, it is. So thank you for your email. Preston is checking in. Hello, Review Bra. Hope you're having a good day. Been enjoying listening to the podcast recently and wanted to thank you for taking the time to make them. I do have a question. Have you ever dressed up for Halloween after you stopped trick-or-treating? I haven't worn a costume since I've stopped trick-or-treating, but I think hosting a costume party sounds good. What are your thoughts? And if you had to wear a Halloween costume, what would it be? Thanks for your time, and have a good day. So thank you for your questions. Yeah, it's been a very long time since I uh, ever dressed up as anything for Halloween. No, I never have 
the last time I ever wore anything for Halloween was when I went trick-or-treating, and that was many years ago. But that was it. And I never wore it. Otherwise, I was never a big costume person to begin with. And, uh, that's what it comes down to. So, no, I'm not a big costume person, but it's up to you. I mean, some people are more into it than others. And, uh, it's alright if you are. There's people who go to costume parties and all that their whole life, so it's it's purely your choice, and uh, if that's something that you want to do, you know, go for it. When I used to wear Halloween costumes, I never was anything interesting. Um, I would always go with the basic stuff. I was a skeleton a lot. I think a ghost a couple times. And, uh, though there was one year that I did go all out, and, um, when Harry Potter, Prisoner of Azkaban, was popular, I, I did go as a Dementor once. That was a pretty cool costume, although boy, let me tell you, you would get very warm wearing that with the sun beating down on you, but um, much better at night. Just uncomfortable for daytime wearing. But those are my costumes. If I had to wear one now... Oh gosh, what's the name of this thing? I'm just trying to remember. I can visually describe it, but I don't really know the name. It's like some sort of... And it's not... It's like this really pale creature has these long, dreadful claws. Uh, it usually just comes out at night. It's got these long, uh, slimy strands of hair, and it always wears these old, outdated suits. <laughs> So that would be my costume, but I think it would be a little too scary for the kids. <laughs> Alright, next one we got um, two questions coming in from Brady in Kentucky. First one, I've been wanting to start a podcast for a while now, but the problem is I don't think I have a good podcast voice. Is there any advice you can give me? Should I do it anyway or find another hobby? The second is, last time I emailed you, I asked what was your favorite year of the 2000s, so now I'm asking what is your favorite year of the 2010s? Thanks for your awesome content. So thanks, Brady. Good to hear from you. Uh, well, in terms of podcast voice, I say do it anyway. I mean, just go for it. Because here, here's the thing. Granted, I think some voices are indeed you know, better than others. But I would just say, I don't know if... I'll just give the example. I cannot stand listening to myself. I don't... I hate the sound of my own voice. I don't enjoy listening to myself. I actively avoid it. And that's one reason why I absolutely detest editing this show. But... It's, it needs to be done, granted, so, you know, I deal with it. Um, but I hate listening to my voice. I've never liked it, never once. I remember the first time I really heard my voice was on a tape recorder, and, uh, oh my god, I couldn't stand it. Yet, there's people who write in and say they enjoy the voice. Who am I to judge, then? You know, I don't think I have a podcast voice. I don't like the way my voice sounds. But other folks feel differently than I do. 
you might not be the biggest fan of your own voice. You might think, I don't really think I have a good voice for this or for that, but you don't know till you try. I say give it a shot. Get to the microphone, discuss what you would like, and go for it. Listeners may feel different from how you do. And, uh, I mean, I know of pl- plenty of radio hosts who don't necessarily have great voices, but they've still amassed a following. Now, granted, the individuals I'm thinking of, I don't think, I don't know if they're really motivational examples, um, so they shouldn't be, well, it's up to you, but factually speaking, they still did have a following. I mean, think of Brother Stare on the shortwave. He, he sounds like he has no teeth at all. But people would send millions and millions of dollars over to him for his ministry. He was a horrible person, though. And um, then, you know, if you listen to Alex Jones and you hear his voice, a lot of people don't like the way his voice sounds, but again, he has a huge following, so... That's not to say that you definitely need one type of voice or another to have anyone that'll listen to you. I think the message comes first, right? So talk about what you want to talk about, and uh, then sometimes there are little vocal exercises one could do also to help smooth out the voice, so to speak. But honestly, I say just give it a shot and, and see what other folks think. Now, your second question... Favorite year of the 2010s? Well, oh gosh, that is a tie right there. That is a tie between uh, two years, both of which, right, one right next to the other. So I'll just list them both because both years were really good. Um, 2014 and 2015. All the other years, um, you know, for me, they had their ups and downs. We're still pretty decent. For the world, forget it. Let's not even go there. But personally, for me as a decade, um, certainly wasn't a bad decade. But it started off a bit rough. Um, Especially 2013. But things really, really started getting better in 2014 and and 2015, and the rest of the decade, again, wasn't without issues. There were certainly plenty, but, I mean, still a good decade overall for me. Uh, So thank you for your question, but again, I can't pick one or the other. It's a two-way tie, 2014 or 15 right there. Fabrizio from Brazil checking in. Um, Would you accept doing a Netflix special uh, like how Damn Drops is. So all the best, Fabrizio from Brazil. I don't know. No, I don't know. I've had opportunities in the past to potentially do some sort of like, um, what is that, one of those TLC shows? One of those um, HGTV ones? But I passed up on it. I I didn't take the opportunity. It's not that I dismissed it outright. I carefully considered it. But 
I thought, I don't know, it's just not me. It depends very specifically on the circumstances. I don't think I'm really that interesting for a show like that. I realize that this broadcast in and of itself is an extremely acquired taste. Most people will look at it, and I don't blame them, say four hours and listen to this monotone. It's like, come on, no way I'm listening to that. And it is a very acquired taste. It's like one of those things you're sipping at it, it tastes really, really bitter and disgusting at first, but you start warming up to it eventually. That's how this show is. Um, But the YouTube channel is the same way. You see some bug-eyed freak in a shirt and tie looking at you, and you click on the video, and when you hear it open its mouth, the the noise and the voice doesn't sound any better. Uh, So it is a huge turnoff for a lot of people. And um, it's an acquired taste, too. That is as well. I think a lot of people start watching ironically but it warms it warms on some folks and uh definitely does but you see the difficulty in perception when a video gets a lot of attention uh like the Mr Beast Burger review or the BTS meal review etc uh people they, they do have a difficult time at first you know, the mass audience, the folks who don't normally watch this sort of stuff. Suddenly they're exposed to it, but it's a hard sell. That's not to say that it's an impossible sell, um, but it's a hard sell to keep them interested or hooked and not kind of be too weirded out. So as a result, I think any show on uh, on these networks. Like I said, it would be a hard sell, and that's, that's how it is. If it were professional and formal, but still could be funny, but more real, uh, it would be, I think as the suits, you know, would see it, likely a failure because it would take too long to really grow on any certain audience for it to be any sort of success. So I think what they would wind up doing is they would kind of go and they would try to take, kind of like how Tosh.0 did, but, you know, try to take advantage of the repugnant characteristics and exploit the hell out of it as a way to kind of get, you know... That's the real cheap way of doing it, but it does work. And you see all these these shows that do that. But you're more like, you know, someone in a circus or something than you are doing a serious TV show. Now, mind you, like, damn, he doesn't have the problem. He's just, you know, he's just a normal guy who knows his stuff and is really passionate about food. And the audiences can see that right away. Um, But there are the differences. 
and that's just how it is. So that's why it would be really, really, um, it would be very de dependable. It would be very debatable, and it would depend on the circumstances, but not something I would pass up outright. Like I said, it just depends. Alright, next question comes in from Logan in Roanoke, Virginia. Long-time listener, question. Uh, will you be doing another State of Shortwave video anytime soon? I had absolutely no interest in radio before listening to your shows, and do enjoy hearing you talk about these. I've watched your previous State of Shortwave many a time, and I use it as a sleep aid. Uh, have a nice day. So thank you, Logan, in Roanoke, Virginia. I'm glad you like it, though. I'm glad. Uh, well, the answer is no. No, I won't be. But the, the reason why, because as you could probably tell, shortwave is a subject that I can uh, go on and on and on about for a long time, and I could certainly discuss to no end. But the, the purpose of the State of Shortwave video that I did back in 2018, it was simple. It was that this medium of shortwave radio, right? I had never done a video as in-depth uh, like that, right? In such great detail about where this medium stands in the present day. Nothing has changed since 2018. I mean, really nothing has. So I think it's just a waste of time. I think it's honestly disrespectful to viewers and listeners to make a 2021 edition, and it would probably be like 35 minutes long. The first 30 minutes would be the same old introduction that I always give to try to explain what shortwave radio is. And you go on and on, you have to ex explain the differences between AM and FM radio and the propagation, and how it's useful still in certain parts of the world and the stuff and how it works, etc. Right, and you have to spend 30 minutes doing that. And then the last five minutes are just gonna be me saying, well, it's exactly the same as it was in 2018, but slightly more dead. And that's it. It's like, so you're telling me you wasted 35 minutes of my life just to tell me that. You know, it's not really going to work. I mean, I could do it, but like I said, it just doesn't... I, I feel like I'm wasting people's time with that. Now, I can, if you want, and I'll do it right now, actually. For anyone interested, we'll... we'll We'll make it official. I'll give the state of shortwave radio with no introductions um, for those who know what it is and are interested. And I'll give the, the 2021 state of shortwave radio right now. 
uh, you know, compared to how it was in 2018, like I just said, it's a medium in decline. Nothing is going to change that. And I am, I understand that now. There was a time a couple years back, maybe around 2018 or earlier, where I thought, well, maybe the medium can change a little bit. Maybe it can grow again, but there's not a chance. And that's what I believe. Shortwave radio, in terms of audiences, etc., is experiencing the exact same problem like it was in 2018, right? A lot of the original listeners to the medium are dead at this point, right? Think about people who were growing up or were really teenagers or adults before television, right, in the 1940s, the 1930s, the 1920s. How many of them are alive right now? Not a lot. I mean, someone who was in their 20s, let's say in 1945, back when AM and shortwave radio were extremely popular, they're almost 100 years old now. And, you know, it only gets older from there. I mean, 1930s, now you're talking about people getting well into their hundreds, and 1920s start looking at super centenarians and maybe a couple dozen people in the world and that's it so the the number of folks who grew up with these mediums and maybe their listening habits continued on later in life are really no more there might be a tiny handful of folks maybe in some retirement homes or you know, who still have a radio and still listen, but their numbers are certainly declining. And their numbers... When I recorded the show in 2018, that I said were already low, well, they're already lower, they're much lower by now. So that group of original listeners is pretty much gone. Uh, Secondly internet connectivity in the developing world continues to improve, as does the distribution of smartphones and the technology pertaining thereto. So as a result, certain parts of the world that, again, were even less connected back in 2018 are slightly more so in 2021. Maybe it's not a discernible difference, But that does definitely mean, at at the very least, tens of thousands of fewer people who listen to shortwave at this point. And then a third thing that I've noticed, and my own surveys corroborate this, the amount of interference for listeners in developed and developing countries on the shortwave spectrum continues to increase. Again, not impacting everyone, for most wouldn't even be noticeable, but just enough listenership continues to drop very slightly. You factor in all this and the medium does continue to decline and uh, decline inexorably. If I had to guess, I'd say we got, I mean, I can't predict the future, but maybe till the end of this decade, before it's completely dead, 
and even all the U.S.-based stations will uh, be, for the most part, gone. So we still got some time, but it's going to get more and more grim every single year. Is there any good news? No, there isn't. There's, there's none. In those years, since 2018, well, what have we witnessed? I mean, in terms of the, uh, the medium. Channel Africa, major international broadcaster out of South Africa, went off the air. They, they signed off in 2019. And with that, they closed their transmitting station down there. You had a complete collapse of shortwave radio in India, which uh, back in 2018, that was probably the biggest difference. When I was recording that show in 2018, the radio landscape in India was very different than right now. Um, In India at the time, you had All India Radio, the external service, which broadcast in many languages, on many frequencies, through many high-power transmitting stations all over the world. And they probably had about 100 broadcasts a day, with very high power. Domestically, you had All India Radio, their local stations, also on shortwave with lower power transmitters because they were just covering the different, um, you know, states or districts. I apologize if I'm, I know it's one or the other, but I don't know the term, in India. And there must have been about yeah, 15 or 20 local All India Radio stations. And then you had the international broadcasters targeting listeners in India. The Voice of America, the BBC World Service, DW, China Radio International, etc. As well as religious broadcasters, such as Trans World Radio, Adventist World Radio, Vatican Radio, etc. Now, all of that told me that there were many listeners around then, still in the millions, I'm sure, in India, because all these broadcasts were going strong. But over the last few years, it just completely collapsed, it just completely caved in on itself. Now, in 2021, All India Radio closed all of its transmitting sites except for two, Instead of 100 broadcasts a day, they have maybe 15, I'd say. They don't even broadcast in English anymore, and they normally broadcast with much lower power. The domestic stations, of about the 15 that existed in 2018, only three of them are still on the air in 2021. The Voice of America, as in terms of external services, discontinued broadcasts to India. The BBC discontinued broadcasts to India. DW discontinued them. 
Uh, TWR India, they're cutting back big time. Vatican Radio cut off broadcasts completely. And uh, what does that tell me? That tells me that listenership over there has completely collapsed. That's not to say that people there still don't. I mean, obviously there still are listeners, maybe even a million or two still in India. Obviously, the three local stations that are still going, someone, I guess enough people have to be listening to them to uh, justify keeping them on the air. But listenership there has indeed collapsed. And I think it's just the internet continues to grow, so there's not much of a need anymore. And the same is true for other countries and other areas, but India was certainly the most striking example, but shortwave radio still does maintain a medium extremely useful in terms of crisis, and uh, that's why it still shouldn't be forgotten completely, though it will be at some point, but I really think it shouldn't, but you do see in parts of the world that are undergoing hardship Uh, an uptick in broadcasting, and presumably listenership as well. For instance, in Myanmar, after the coup, and the censorship and the internet blackouts, you name it, shortwave broadcasting again surged in popularity, with stations like Radio Free Asia, the BBC, the VOA, all the state-run broadcasters increasing frequencies, and airtime to Myanmar, and they continue to to this day. The Horn of Africa, so we're talking Ethiopia, Eritrea, and Somalia, all remain areas with extremely large audiences on shortwave, and there is a huge amount of broadcasts targeting them, including, again, all the state-run broadcasters, the international broadcasters, um, still many domestic stations, as well as many third-party clandestine broadcasts from various political or social movements trying to get their message out. So that also remains a hot spot for broadcasting. North Korea is another part of the world where shortwave remains alive. Afghanistan does as well, and I suspect that the need for it over there is only going to continue as the Taliban take over the country, and that's how I see it. I think I think at some point, Afghanistan, it's going to be, you're going to have two Afghanistans. You're going to have the city-state of Kabul, which is what the West is going to consider Afghanistan, and that's who we're going to officially declare as the country. That's going to be the flag we're going to fly. That's who we do business with, etc. And it's going to be Kabul and probably an airport, and that's about it. And everywhere else in the country is going to be controlled by the Taliban. And, I mean, seeing how it is and has been, I don't see the need for radio diminishing at all, taking that into consideration. So, I think Afghanistan, Afghanistan isn't going anywhere. 
in terms of radio. All of the stations that target it now, if anything, they're only going to do so um, more vigorously. And uh, also, at least for the time being, Cuba, I think broadcasting will still live on over there. Um, given the recent protests and the response over the airwaves I've seen to it, it's clear at least the U.S. government feels that shortwave still has its place in Cuba. Um, with the recent protests and the internet outages, Radio Marti, the U.S. government's, whatever you want to call it, station to Cuba, uh, really stepped up broadcasts. And for a while they had no broadcasts from midnight to 6 a.m., but now they have continual 24-7 coverage on as many as five shortwave frequencies at the same time. So that tells me that they're certainly broadcasting to somebody. Um, before Twitter got blocked completely in Cuba, and mind you, this is just a minority of the population who even has social media access, but you were seeing all this discussion about Radio Marti, you know, pro and con, La Onda Corta, right, that's a shortwave, talking about that, um, etc. So it's clear that people still do, still do listen, and then you have the broadcasts, the other ones targeting Cuba, you know, um, Radio Libertad out of Miami, Radio Republica, which broadcasts out of France. And then you have the broadcasts from Cuba, you know, Radio Rebelde, Radio Progreso, the domestic stations on the shortwave. And then, uh, of course, the all-encompassing Radio Havana Cuba, also broadcasting. So, as long as the situation in Cuba remains as so with the current folks in power, again, I don't see this going anywhere. If, let's say, the regime were to fall, I think the broadcast would kind of go away with it, and that would be that. So that's why I think a lot of these situations, especially, will keep the medium going for a while. North Korea, I don't see that changing anytime soon, so I can't see that suddenly stopping all the broadcasts there. Same goes for Afghanistan. Again, for the most part, Cuba. The Horn of Africa, again, the development over there has gotten better over the last 10 years, but it's certainly not good enough to justify forgetting about radio just yet. Again, Myanmar is entirely dependent on the situation. So it's like those certain hot spots, I think, are going to fuel the rest of the medium for a while. But as for casual listenership in Europe and North America, it would be nice if it picked up. Of course it would be. I do my own shows. Yeah, of course it'd be great to have a revival there. I also think the quality of programming one can hear has increased, and um, there's better stuff to listen to now than there were in 2018. But I think, conversely, there's fewer people around now to listen to it. 
Now, that's not saying... That's not saying that it's by huge margin, but it's like, you know, I forget what the, what the figure was. Okay, here it is. I did save it. Um, I know this is, people could call this a mentally ill obsession or something, and that's fine. Say what you want. But I purported And there's no statistics. This is just through my own, yes, original research, but I feel very confident in its accuracy, and that's my my take, that I felt in the United States per week, there were in 2018 maybe about 90,000 people who still listened to shortwave radio, and I broke that down into four categories. Um, the first was hobbyists slash amateur radio operators, which I said maybe of that 90,000, uh, 40,000. The second type were specific listeners. That I consider people who tune into shortwave maybe to listen to VORW. Or people who tune in to listen to the voice of Greece for Greek music. Or someone who's a Turkish expatriate who listens to the voice of Turkey to feel more connected to home, Uh, someone who listens to Alex Jones or Hal Turner to hear points of view that they really can't online, uh, etc. People who listen specifically for a certain type of program or content. And that number I put at around 20,000. The third type are necessity listeners. Again, people who might be really old, don't use the internet, or just, you know, don't have internet. People maybe in very, very rural Alaska, etc. Or extremely remote Wyoming or Montana. Maybe they live off the grid, etc. Listen out of necessity, I put that at 10,000 as well. And then I put, as the fourth, maybe new listeners, especially I'm thinking someone who, uh, they found an old boombox that has shortwave on it. What the heck is shortwave? I don't know. Let's turn it on and find out. Or, you know, their great uncle died and they found this old radio at his estate and they're going to see what it's all about, etc. And uh, they're just kind of playing around, but they're not really sure what this medium is. I put that number at 10,000. Let's make the 2021 figures right now. Let's do it. So my updated figure for 2021, for what I think the number of shortwave listeners per week in the U.S. stands for, it's a lower number than 2018, not by an extremely large amount, but certainly by a percentage, sizable percentage. Uh, I would say Again, 2018, we had it at 90,000. I'm going to lower it to 78,000 per week in 2021. Uh, I'm going to lower the first category, the amateurs and the hobbyists, from 40,000 to 35,000. That decrease, I feel, would come from two things. Number one, a lot of amateur radio operators, not all, but a lot, are in older demographics. Um... You know, not ancient, but certainly in their 60s and 70s. 
And granted, in four years, many of them are still going to be here, but a few will pass on. Also, um, maybe perceived, not necessarily, but perceived lack of content. And also, increasing noise interference. That'll do it. Uh, secondly, for the specific listeners, I mostly attribute this decrease to increasing noise interference. For the necessity listeners, I attribute the decline also to noise interference, but also, you know, whatever few still didn't have internet in 2018, maybe they do in 2021. And again, you aren't getting any younger, so you gotta factor that in, mortality. And then the final number, I leave at 10,000 because I don't think that really changes. So, that's my view, and I would lower it from 90 to 78. Now, through those calculations, I am, per week, established figures all the way from 2001 up until, I guess, 2021 now. And that's what we had, but I think in the early 2000s, the numbers are still in the millions. But as the internet grew in prominence, as the older generations died off, and as all the broadcasts to the U.S. dropped like flies, um, the number of listeners sank like a rock. And I think by 2011, my number was even under 500,000. I had it around 440,000. By 2014, I had it at 200,000, and I had it about cut in half by 2018. I think now it's kind of, we're reaching, instead of the numbers falling off a cliff, it's like whoever's here now pretty much is, is uh, trapped here, and you're not, you're not going anywhere. So, that's my, my numbers and my rationale behind it. There's still people listening, there's still listeners out there, there's still stations that broadcast to those listeners. That's why I keep my broadcast on the air. The correspondence tells me that there's enough folks that this broadcast reaches that anything put into it is worthwhile. So, um, you know, shortwave radio, it's a medium still in decline, no end in sight, but still got life left into it. Remember, the number that I gave, it's lower, but it's not zero. And I think those numbers would be much higher if we were trying to do this for Cuba or places such as that. But, I mean, I say, enjoy the broadcasters while you still can. Because there's still some interesting stations out there. You still got the VOA, the BBC, DW, Radio France International. You've got Radio Exterior de España. You've got Vatican Radio. You've got interesting stations like the Voice of Nigeria, the Voice of Mongolia, the Voice of Korea from North Korea, the Voice of Iran, Radio Havana Cuba, um, etc., etc. There's still stuff to listen to and you still can. So, 
Get it while the getting's good. Into some more emails. Jared is writing in. Uh, hey John, I was wondering if you'd seen the news recently that Amtrak invested quite a bit of money for a fleet of modern trains. It's a $7.3 billion investment. And uh, I thought this may be interest to you. So uh, thank you, Jared, for sending in that link, and I checked it out. Certainly is interesting. And, uh, you know, it's good to see Amtrak not completely fall to the, uh, you know, into the abyss. I don't know if I could ever truly forgive them for uh, desecrating the dining car as they did. You know, they took a good thing and they ruined it completely, and then they, they pitched the blame on the Millennials, right? Which is a complete and total load of nonsense. And uh, that's just something I still can't forgive them for, it. I, I, I can't. I'm thankful I was able to experience it a tiny handful of times, but, you know, I guess what's done is done. In some cases, they claim to have better meals again, but not the East Coast trains, so it's just, it's a shame. It, it is a real shame. Uh, if there's anything that I'm excited about, more so than Amtrak, because again, it's just, I can't let it go. I, I can't forgive them for doing that. But here in the state of Florida, there is a high-speed rail network that's being established between Orlando and Miami, and it's called Brightline. And uh, that is, uh... That I look forward to. And I support this rail network. I see the, the extent of work going on right now. This isn't one of those little projects that they sit there and they put up a few cones and they, you know, they don't do anything. Um, I mean, I've seen it. There's this one, they're constructing a segment of the tracks that parallels this one east to west highway. And you can drive along this work for probably 25 miles. And it's just, you can see where they're building the railroad and it's just 25 miles of construction, I mean, that long, just continually. So this is really, really good to see, though, because not only is it jobs, people are, are going to work here, but it looks like they're going all out, and, um, yeah, this is definitely a project I can, I can get behind. Uh, so I am enthusiastic about it, and it's good to see it happening right here in Florida. And, uh, you know, Amtrak, I just hope if they're gonna kind of throw them a few more bones, I, I hope they... Uh, look, if they ever bring back the dining car to its former glory, I will, uh, I will completely forgive them. So we hear from Zach in Wilmington, Delaware, who says, I was watching your Five Guys review and thinking to myself, gee... I wonder how many cool suits he has ruined by spilling grease or condiments. Uh, for someone like myself, that number would likely be quite high, but for a reserved individual like yourself, I imagine it's probably pretty low, if not zero. Just a random thought. Hope it finds you well. So thank you, Zach. Um, I have never ruined a suit, believe it or not. 
to food or eating or any of that. And, and I'm, I'm shocked about, by that too. Because I've made my mistakes, but I, I can say that I've never ruined one in terms of that. So, the only close call that I ever had was actually with a dress shirt. And uh, I almost thought it was a lost cause, but I saved it. And I was having some Papa John's, and I had the garlic dipping sauce. And uh, I was trying to dip something in, and I, I don't know what happened, but I spilled the garlic dipping sauce on my dress shirt cuff. And it was a very dark gray dress shirt, almost... Not quite black, just very dark gray. But now you had this very dark splotch on the cuff from where this oil and grease from the garlic sauce just soaked in. But I was able to get the stain out. And I wear that shirt to this day and you can't even tell. But that was a very close call and I I, I am fearful to think what might have happened if I was wearing a suit. And I got that on the jacket. So, I mean, accidents happen, of course, but that was a close call. So, thank you for uh, your email there. A <laughs> short question from an anonymous listener. Uh, how many holes does a straw have? Have a nice day. Um, I'm not sure if this is a trick question. I, I might get this one wrong, actually, or maybe it's just a matter of how you look at it. I don't know. But I would say it has one hole, two openings, but one hole. So that's what I would have to say for a straw. Alec in the UK says, I wrote in a few months ago about dental problems, your troubles, and my own. I thought I'd give an update. My teeth were in better condition than I had feared, so I don't require any fillings, etc. I had one extraction to make room in my overcrowded mouth and fixed braces... Uh, fitted to straighten my teeth. The extraction was difficult. It took around half an hour, as the tooth is very stubborn. However, I was in good hands and felt no pain whatsoever at the time. I hope this can reassure other listeners who may be dreading an appointment, but as you know, it's so important to find a good dentist. I didn't care about losing the tooth. The thing was full of amalgam anyway. Recovery is going well. The pain is is really bad, but I do have some pain meds. Have you ever needed any orthodontal work? Take care, Alec, in the UK. Thanks, Alec. Uh, Good to hear from you, and I'm glad things are going smooth, and uh, best of luck with the recovery. I hope your tooth is uh, in better shape. The recovery, by that I mean. It's in better shape now than uh, it was when you sent the email. Um, no, I've never had any work done from an orthodontist. Really, that's like the only dentist that I haven't been to lately. An orthodontist, and I guess I haven't been to a prosthodontist, at least someone who uh, does that full-time, but I have gotten plenty of crowns put in, but those are from other dentists. Um, you know, my dental work is coming along, most of the bottom teeth are taken care of, and now it's time to move to the top. And it's just more of the same, you know, certain teeth have certain issues. 
And uh, for those issues, I will need to go back to specialists. So it's like all the fun that I had on the bottom teeth, now I get to repeat it for the top. And the whole team is going to be reunited. Isn't this going to be beautiful? I get to go back to my favorite endodontist. And I'm even going to have the pleasure of seeing uh, my periodontist and my regular dentist many, many times. And uh, by the way it's looking, it looks like I have more crowns on the way, maybe a couple fillings, uh, at least one root canal, and um, possibly, possibly, not guaranteed, but possibly another functional crown lengthening where I'll have to be put under and everything for that. So, uh, you know, more work is ahead, but I've fallen into the routine. So this doesn't bother me because it's like I've been doing this for so long, I'm just used to it. And uh, these are these are folks who I can trust. I think they do a, uh, a good job. And let's get in now to a few final emails. We hear from Susanna, who sends in, uh, from Australia, who sends in two questions. Question one. You mentioned in the last podcast that you get plenty of exercise in the form of long walks. I was wondering, do you wear your suit when you go for a walk, or do you have some kind of active wear? I live far away in Australia, but I think I've heard that it's hot and humid there in Florida. Hope you're not getting overheated. So no worries, that's a perfectly legitimate question, and it certainly does get warm here in Florida. Um, but I do not wear active wear, and uh, when I go for a walk, here's what I normally wear. Very, very rarely, unless it's actually quite cold, uh, do I wear any sort of suit jacket. But when I go for a walk, I wear my dress pants, I wear a dress shirt, a tie, you know, shirt tucked in and everything. And uh, instead of dress shoes, I usually just wear black sneakers. Uh, sometimes I'll wear a short sleeve dress shirt and tie, which I know is a faux pas somewhere, but I'm fine wearing those. And, uh, you know, I stay comfortable because I don't sweat a lot at all. So I don't ruin any sort of clothing going for the walks. And uh, that's what I wear, and it's what I'm comfortable in. So I still, I still wear what I wear when I go for walks. And um, I've never had an issue with overheating, thankfully. I mostly walk at night, so I don't have to worry about the sun beating down on me or anything like that. Secondly, you said, uh, I'm concerned that your one meal a day when you do a review must be very cold by the time you eat it. Does that bother you at all? Are you tempted to put it in the microwave or would that taint the texture of the food for the review? So thank you, Susanna, for your questions. Um, no, it's all good, and uh, most of the time when I do the reviews, the food is still warm, believe it or not. Now, the reason why it's still warm is because I have everything set up, and everything all ready to go. So by the time the food comes in, I take it, I walk over to the table, I put it down, and I press record on the camera. So uh, it's not ice cold or anything by the time I eat it, so all's good. 
And honestly, like, let's say it's a pizza or something. I, I really don't care. Like, after I review it and all of that, the remaining pizza might start getting a little lukewarm. It's like, I don't really care. I'll, I'll eat it lukewarm. I mean, it's of no bother to me. So, all's good there. Uh, thank you for your question. James is writing in. I'm among the many fast foodies who have an emergency bag of assorted fast food condiment package uh, packets and sauces in their fridge slash pantry. In a pinch, if the establishment I went to, let's say McDonald's, forgets to give me the desired sauce and I have my bag of excess sauces from the past to improvise. But let's say there are only other establishments' sauces left. I feel a bit off taste-wise using another establishment's sauce for other places. It feels like I'm always cheating on my main with a side piece. It's like my brain is hardwired in only pairing the exact sauce that goes with that fast food. Do you ever mix sauces or have felt this way? So thank you, James, for your question. <laughs> yes, I've been there and I do the same thing. It does feel weird, doesn't it? Like, here's a good example. One of my favorite fast food sauces is from Chick-fil-A. And, uh, I like the Polynesian sauce. I just love it. I love the way it tastes. Um, it complements so many things from Chick-fil-A so nicely. The, uh, waffle fries it goes great with. And I'll even dip some of the uh, chicken nuggets or the chicken tenders in the Polynesian sauce. But it just, I, I have never even contemplated Let's say if I go to McDonald's or to Wendy's or something, dipping their fries or their nuggets in Chick-fil-A Polynesian sauce. Never once have I. I've never considered putting Chick-fil-A sauce on a McDonald's chicken sandwich or using McDonald's, let's say, sweet and sour sauce for Chick-fil-A. I just, each one is for its own respective establishment and that only, and that's really weird, but... I think you know, you know how it is, and it's like certain things go with certain places, and uh, that's just how it is. So thank you, James, for your question, but I completely understand. I've been there. I do the same thing. So, uh, I, I get it. We hear next from Cole in Maryland uh, with a suggestion. Have you heard of a melatonin vape? I know that you have trouble going to sleep. And this could help. There's no nicotine in it. It's just water vapor and melatonin. Uh, let me know if you've heard about it and what you think about it. And also, do you like horror movies? And if so, have you seen A Quiet Place, part one or two? I've seen both, and uh, they're my favorite horror movies. Thank you for making videos and podcasts. They're always fun to watch and listen to. So thank you, Cole in Maryland. I've never heard of a melatonin vape, and uh, with all due respect, it's just not something that I want to try. I've never uh, vaped before, and it's just not, it's just not of any uh, interest to me. I've just never, and this is just me personally, I'm not speaking for anyone else here, I've never gotten a good feeling about vaping, and uh, it's just not, it's just not something I want to do. So, uh, 
No, I haven't heard of it. It's just not something I want to try. But I do appreciate the suggestion either way, so don't feel bad about suggesting it or, or any of that. It's just not for me. Now, in terms of horror movies, um, horror movies are hit or miss, but some of them I certainly am willing to give a try. I just don't like the ones that are just too gory and too over the top. I've never seen A Quiet Place 1 or 2, but I know they've both gotten very good reviews, so that might be something that I have to, uh, I might have to give a shot and, and, and try it out. And finally, our final email for the show, we hear from Manuel. I hope I got that right. I know you specifically said to pronounce that a certain way. I hope I got it right. Uh, from Seabrook, Texas. In your last podcast, you mentioned how expensive haircuts had gotten, particularly once you, ma- uh, once you moved to Florida. And I got a chuckle out of your response to the price tag, if that. And I admit I was actually slightly surprised to hear you confess to cursing. I guess your prim and proper YouTube persona, which, judging from your podcasts, doesn't seem to be far away from your actual personality, uh, didn't seem to be that of a potty mouth. You always have been very careful about avoiding such words in your YouTube videos, even before the so-called YouTube apocalypse, and you even skirted around the word itself in your podcast when describing your expletive. I'm genuinely curious if you regularly curse in your personal life. I myself find that when I curse, it's usually to myself in moments of frustration, or maybe when I'm on the road and any road rage emerges. However, in regular conversation, it's actually quite rare for me to curse. There is an old line of thinking that says, those who curse a lot have a very small vocabulary. Do you think this is a fair statement? Keep up the good work and take care. So thank you for your email. Well, when it comes down to uh, cursing, I do on occasion, but it is it is rare. It is very rare, and it usually is not without, uh, in my mind anyway, justifiable cause. So I'm not one to just sit there in conversation, and every word out of my mouth is going to be some sort of expletive. Yeah, as a matter of fact, sometimes I'll go days without uttering an expletive, but it depends on what sort of uh, day that it is. Right? You don't know. But usually, if I do swear, and again, I certainly have, uh, it's for a reason. And when I do, I think same as your case, it's usually just to myself. And that's it. I never swear... In this podcast, I never swear in the radio show, I never swear in the YouTube videos, because to me, and this is just, you know, my own line of thinking, it feels wrong to use profanity when you're doing something for an audience, or let alone in public. I, I, I never swear in conversation with, you know, in a public area either. Uh, it just doesn't feel right. It, it, it feels improper, and uh, I just don't like the feeling. And it feels unimaginable to uh, swear to a mass audience when you don't know who's even watching. There might be children watching or listening, and it just doesn't... I feel like it undermines, in some cases, now not always, but 
the way I feel anyway, sometimes it undermines the seriousness of certain things. But that's in my case exclusively. There's other cases where people are telling stories, and sometimes, admittedly, you know, the expletives can even enhance it. But it's dependent. But even if I do, I, I never try for it to be over the, over the top or overwhelming at all. In terms of the phrase, those who curse a lot have a small vocabulary, I don't think that's a true state. I would say it's partially true, but not completely. The only reason I say that is because there are many instances that can both, you know, prove and disprove that statement. Um, I, I certainly know of people who swear a lot. Every other word is the F word, pretty much. And, yeah, they do have a small vocabulary, because every other word is the F word, or just very simplistic um, words and expressions. So in their case, yes, they swear a lot, and they do have a small vocabulary. But I know of other people who may be frequent swearers, but have a huge vocabulary, and maybe they just like to swear, or they're the type that just, you know, kind of peppers it in their conversation, and uh, they consider it just, you know, as various elements to emphasize certain things, or to express certain things, whatever. And uh, that's all they use it for, but they have many other words uh, to accompany it. So, I, I would say that that's... It's not. Tr it's partially true in that it does apply to some, but not all, because I certainly know of many folks who that doesn't apply to. So thank you for your email. You've been listening to the VORW International Podcast. That segment that you heard was responding to uh, some listener emails and pieces of feedback. And granted, I wasn't able to get to everything, um, but I certainly tried to respond to what I can. That was pre-recorded, and these final remarks have been recorded the same time as my opening, so the introduction and conclusion are both the newest parts of this podcast. Considering that you've made it through to the end of this show, you obviously know this will be my last one for a bit, and I just wanted to say to the folks out there who tune into this program, who are good people... I truly appreciate you as listeners, and I want you to know that while I may be taking a break, it's because of folks like you why I'm coming back after that break, and why I already look so forward to doing that. There's trolls, there's naysayers, there's nasty people out there, and it can wear on you in certain ways. But don't think for a second that I've lost sight of all the decent individuals who tune to this program, too. And it is for you why I will be back. And I feel better than ever. In the meantime, if there is any content, again, to fill the void, you could always listen to archived programs of this show that are found, again, on YouTube or any of the streaming platforms that you listen on. And likewise, in addition to this show, I also uh, do my radio show. Now, if you want to listen to it, 
you're more than welcome to. You don't have to. Um, But I do want to take a minute to just explain what the radio show is. And I know that it's not for everyone because it does have music in it. So I know it's, it's not the same as this show. The radio show is something that I do where I, I try for it to be more of a didactic mix of entertainment as well as serious discussion. They're not blending the two. And it is structured. It always starts off with really the first 10 to 15 minutes being reserved for whatever discussion I want. And I'm not controversial, but I will sometimes discuss the news of the day, current events, things going on in the world. Sometimes I'll just talk about random things, just how my day was, or I'll give little discussions about the YouTube channel or whatever, whatever's on my mind. But I'm able to do it in an environment that I know isn't controlled by any sort of algorithm or, you know, rules or terms of service, and I can't get in trouble for anything I say. And it's only going to be judged by the listening audience, which is how it should be everywhere, but you know how things are. And then following those discussions, uh, then I open up the email for any sort of uh, reception reports, pieces of feedback, comments, etc. And I'll also play some music, and I'll take listener music requests. Uh, Lately I've gotten into the habit where between songs I usually discuss some of the backstory about the music, give some trivia, etc. And... uh, It's a lot of fun to do that. But there really are two ways you can listen. The first is via shortwave radio. My main frequency and time, this is my most consistent airing, this is when you get the brand new shows. 10 p.m. Eastern, that's 9 p.m. Central, 8 p.m. Mountain, 7 p.m. Pacific, that's 0200 UTC, on 5850 kHz, that's 5850, 5.850 MHz. On the shortwave, it's beamed to North America. And that broadcast goes out at that time and frequency every Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday evening, consistently at that time. Another way that you can tune in is via TuneIn Radio, which is an online streaming service. You could easily consult the links in the description of this, and you could easily find them, just copy them, consult them, and the times and the links are all right there. And with that, dear listeners, that's all that I have for you. Who knows when I'll be back, but I certainly will, I give you my word. Be safe, be healthy, and I wish you all the very best. Take care. This is VORW.